Here's Pastor Steve Converse to introduce us to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. It's important for us to understand that the church is God's method of choice. That's his venue. That's what he wants to work through. It's not perfect, but it is where we best experience God because God wants our life to be a life of community. He doesn't want us to live an isolated Christian life, but he wants us to live a life lived with others. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, hello and welcome to our time together today in God's Word. We'll find ourselves in Romans chapter 16, Philippians chapter 4, Psalm 133, as well as Hebrews 12. And our main focus will be in Psalm 122. We're looking at the three elements to maximize Christmas. If you've ever wanted to get the most out of Christmas, I think we all do, well, there are three things that we need to be reminded of, and we'll take a look at them as we move towards Christmas. Now, the first up, unity. If you want to maximize your Christmas, you need to understand what unity is all about. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, here's our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse now, with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Three elements that will maximize your Christmas experience. This morning, if you look over at Psalm 122, I just want to read this for us. And then we'll go through it kind of loosely, not in any detail, but we want to look at three elements that will maximize our Christmas experience. Psalm 122, Song of David, says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Father, we pray this morning that you would open your heart, our hearts to your word, that you would show us how to practically make the most of this time of season. And Lord, it's a busy time for many. It's a, it's a dreadful time for many. And Lord, we just pray that you would keep us focused on what's important and keep us distracted from what's not. And so Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the reasons that there's such a difference in the way people look at Christmas is because there's a lot of different expectations when it comes to this time of year. And expectations run very high. Every Christmas has to be the best Christmas. You don't want a Christmas, you know, you're done with Christmas, and you look, at the end of the day, you go, ah, it wasn't it better last year? I mean, every year you want to have the best Christmas that you possibly can, the best way to celebrate the coming king. And the truth is that every Christmas can't be the best Christmas in reality. But I think if we put into practice these three things we're going to talk about this morning, you're going to find out that you can have a great Christmas, that that experience can be a positive one. Um, The value of your Christmas is measured a lot of times by quantity, and some years are going to be better than others. But if the value of your Christmas is measured by the season itself, by what it means, and your participation in it every year, I think, can be better than the last. We talked a little bit about Advent, our participation in the Advent wreath this year, Advent means the coming of the Lord. That's all that means. It's Latin, and it means the coming. And it's a season when we celebrate the coming of our Savior, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can throw all the other commercial stuff away if you miss anything. Don't miss that, that this time of year is about 
the coming king, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't worship the baby, Jesus. That's not what we do. We worship the reigning, ruling Lord and king. Some people say, well, was it on the 25th that Jesus was born? December 25th? No, probably not. Most likely not. Christmas has been celebrated on December 25th since the second century. And there's probably a chance of 365 that he was born on that day. In other words, we really don't know. Even scholars have kind of narrowed it down to some say the springtime. And, but they don't really know. We're not given a day. And I think we're not given a day for that very reason. We would idolize that day. But you have to understand the early Christians, the first ones who celebrated Christmas on December 25th, they did it because it was the day of winter solstice. It's a pagan holiday, really. All of Rome was involved in celebrating that season, the winter solstice. And I think that we have to remember that when we, we look at this time of year, it's not about the winter solstice. And you say, well, then why would they celebrate it? Well, it was their way of being able to gather together as Christians because everybody was celebrating the winter solstice. They could gather together as Christians without the fear of persecution, and celebrate the coming king. Celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everybody else was celebrating anyway. So they didn't really stand out because back then they could have come under persecution for that. Fierce persecution. And so they were trying to not draw attention to themselves. And so they thought, well, let's just adopt this holiday and we'll do our thing and let the pagans do their thing. December 25th, according to one emperor, was declared the birthday of the unconquered sun, S-U-N, the unconquered sun. And yet it's kind of unique that Christians pick the 25th to really celebrate God coming down to earth, putting himself in a body, taking on the nature of a servant, humbling himself, obediently yielding himself eventually to the death on a cruel cross. Really, from the world's perspective, he looked like he was conquered, not unconquered. <laughs> but we know the end of the story. We know that he came back that he rose from the grave on the third day, and now he reigns for eternity at the right hand of God. But see, in the early century of time, people couldn't freely celebrate Christmas like we do today. I mean, we feel a little bit of that, you know, as far as political correctness out there, but nothing like they had back then. And yet they felt compelled to celebrate the birth of the king, even in the face of opposition, even when they had to do it in secrecy. And you say, well, why is that? Well, I think it's because it's a celebration of Christmas. It's not just a solitary event. It's not something you can really celebrate by yourself. It's more of a communal event. It's more of people gathering, families gathering, churches gathering together. Christmas is best celebrated when it's celebrated with others. That's usually the case. And today we want to look at this approach to the Christmas season with a sense of wonder and appreciation and fascination, but also a sense of determination to experience this season, this next couple weeks, in such a way that it brings not only light into our lives, but it also enables that light to be seen by others. Today we're going to talk a little bit about this season and what it means about not celebrating Christmas by yourself. Solitude. I mean, solitude has its place in Christianity, doesn't it? Sometimes God says, you know, you just need to be still and know that I am God. It's hard to do that when you're talking with other people. So sometimes God wants us to get alone and be by ourselves. We know that to be true. But when you look at Psalm 120, look at the first verse. He said, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. See, among Christians, a common distinction between those who are thriving in their spiritual life and those who are struggling in their spiritual lives, really, you can dial it in to one thing. I say nine times out of ten, somebody who's struggling in their spiritual life is struggling with their church. They're struggling something about their church. They're struggling in their relationship to the church. It may not even be an individual church. It may be the church at whole. Whenever I meet a disgruntled 
Christian or a bitter Christian, and you've met them too, I know almost with certainty that it's going to come down to at some point in their life, someone within the church disappointed them or abused them or something happened within the local church to turn them so far away from God that they won't have anything to do with it. Now, we know that churches aren't perfect. If you find a perfect church, someone said, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Okay. And, and, that's, and that's true. As a matter of fact, I think this church was perfect before I got here. No, but, you know, that's true. You know, we, we don't want to think that, oh, the church is perfect. It can't be perfect because it's made up of what? It's made up of, of sinners who've come to Christ and are still struggling with sin, sometimes even on a daily basis. And yet, even though the church is not perfect, we have to understand that we are the presence of God here in this community. That's what we are. That's what God has called us to be. Eugene Peterson talked about how the church is God's venue of choice. He acknowledged that when we come together on Sunday morning, some of us don't want to be here. We sing songs that some of us don't like. And the preacher preaches a sermon that sometimes nobody pays attention to. And the group tends to be inconsistent in their promises and habits. But he says this, The people in those pews are also people who suffer deeply. And find God in their suffering. They make love commitments, are faithful to them through trial and temptation, and bear fruit that bless the people around them. You know, it's important for us to understand that the church is God's method of choice. That's his venue. That's what he wants to work through. It's not perfect, but it is where we best experience God. Because God wants our life to be a life of community. He doesn't want us to live an isolated Christian life. But he wants us to live a life lived with others. That's what you see in the, the New Testament book of Acts. The New Testament church, what did they do? I mean, daily, it says. They broke bread, they prayed, they worshipped, they sang songs. They were under the teaching of the Word of God. I remember when I was in college, down at Christian Heritage College in San Diego, the first winter there, my brother-in-law and sister said, hey, we're going to send you a ticket so you can come home for Christmas. I said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm sending it in California. This is going to be cool. I'm going to spend it by myself. And they said, no, we'll say you. It won't cost you anything. We're going to, nope. I'm going to spend it all by myself. So, sure enough, Thanksgiving came and went. Christmas came. And I remember waking up Christmas morning in my dorm room. I was the only person in the dorm, let alone my dorm room. I mean, I was it. Nothing. No kitchen staff. Nothing. You know. Got up, took a shower. I remember walking down to the living place there where they have the candy machines and the the games and all that stuff. And I'm I'm looking at the vending machine. I'm thinking, what am I going to eat? And, you know... And I'm thinking, this probably wasn't the best idea. But I remember one of the friends in the church there who had had me over for Thanksgiving because they didn't go home for Thanksgiving either. They invited me for Christmas dinner. And I remembered when I went for Thanksgiving dinner at this individual's house, he told me, he goes, now my brother, he's not a Christian. And, you know, so just get ready. It's, it's really, it's, it's just, you know, it's just a very tense time in our family this time of year. And I'm thinking, okay. His, his, his family was Christian, but his brother would come in with his, his wife and their kids, and they weren't believers at all. And I thought, well, okay, why does it have to be so tense? Well, all I had to do is sit down at the <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner. And, uh, you know, I met his brother. He seemed like a nice guy. I mean, everything was fine. And we sat down. My friend uh, kind of looked over, and he winked at me. I'm thinking, okay, what's, what's this about? He goes, well, I'm, I thought I would read some scripture before the meal, uh, some scripture of Thanksgiving. And all of a sudden, his brother's countenance just changed. And he's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. we got to do this again. That's it. I just, and they just started this huge, like, fight. And the family stormed off into another part of the house. The, the wife and the, the, I mean, the kids were crying. It was horrible. And then he read his 
verse of Thanksgiving <laughs> and the father prayed and we ate and, and they had leftovers, I guess. I don't know. I just kind of beelined it out of there after I got my food. It was just very awkward. And I remember him telling me afterwards, see what I mean? I said, well, wait a minute. You know, I think that maybe you played a little part of this. And so I, I gave him some advice and I kind of just said, you know, sometimes you need to just back off rather than setting up the whole thing to be this You know, it's fine to have your faith and everything. But if you know that this greatly offends your brother, because he was just turned off by church in general. And he didn't really have a lot, but he was just turned off by the church somewhere along. I don't know if his parents or whatever. And I remember telling my friend, I said, look, at Christmas time, because he invited me back for Christmas. And I just thought, oh, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to go to the beach at La Jolla and eat a cheese sandwich or something. You know, I'd rather do that. But I ended up going over there. And you know what? He did change the way that he dealt with his brother. He really did. He basically reached out to him and he just let his dad say a little prayer and he didn't, you know, he didn't really compromise anything, but he wasn't overbearing with his Christianity to the point where his brother ran out of the room pulling his hair out. And sometimes holidays are just that tense among families. People come together to celebrate and pretty soon, you know, boy, the wheels fall off the cart. I was down at the coffee shop the other day and I was sitting there waiting for my wife to come and just reading the paper. And all of a sudden... I mean, this couple just starts getting into it. And I'm not just talking, I mean, in my big time. I mean, there's nobody else in there. I mean, me and maybe a couple people, you know. And I'm like, did they not think I'm sitting right here or what? You know, I'm like burying myself further and further into my newspaper. I mean, I, I felt so bad for them. And it started out, they were just going to play cards. And then she, boy, it just boom, escalated pretty soon. She's like crying. He stomps off and she chases him and it's raining out and, you know, he's behind the wheel of this truck and she jumps in and he whips out, almost hits a car and, oh, it's horrible. And I thought, boy, what a horrible way to start off the season. But you know what? There's a lot of tension in the air and there's a lot that people have certain expectations about this time of season and they go unmet. And so when they go unmet, what happens? They basically get angry. They get frustrated. So as we approach this Christmas season, I want to encourage you to take the attitude that David had. Rejoice whenever you have the opportunity to enter the house of the Lord. See, there's going to be some busy weeks ahead of you. You've got company picnics and dinners and all sorts of stuff. And you know what? You can find yourself looking at church and say, oh, man, i got to go to church. Oh, we're having group or we're, we're having this. Or, oh, we got the dinner coming up. Oh, i got to go to that. And all of a sudden, the whole joy is just sucked out of you because it's a have-to attitude instead of a want-to. And that first verse says there, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I mean, we need to really stop and remind ourselves that it is a privilege to be able to come to a local body of believers and sit in a nice, comfortable chair and and to to worship God with music and hymns and songs and, and to open up God's word and have it taught in a way that hopefully it applies to you and it encourages you. I mean, that's a real privilege. We don't understand that because we live in America. But I want you to understand that in order for you to have that kind of an attitude of rejoicing, there's three basic ideals, three elements that's going to help not only your Christmas experience, but I think it will help your church experience as well. I asked a uh, homeless guy one time, I was talking to him, I was down at a concert and I was talking to him and trying to share the Lord with him a little bit and he was drinking a little bit, you know, and didn't have anything but whatever he had on his back and talking to him and and I asked him I said do you go to church anywhere oh I don't go to church and I said why so churches all they want is my money I'm looking at this guy scratching my head like pal obviously you don't have any money 
Why do you, you know, it was just, it was just really weird. And yet that's how a lot of people view church because something in their life has turned them off. But when we come together as God's imperfect people, we have to understand that we're abundantly blessed in the Lord. And the first thing, the first ideal that we want to adopt this holiday season is one of unity. One of unity. Can you imagine if you had to live in the first century and your church sometimes received a letter from the Apostle Paul? If you look in the, the, the uh, Romans with me, look at Romans chapter 16 because this is kind of interesting that when Paul would write these letters, can you imagine someone coming in here this morning and unraveling a scroll and saying, hey, this is from the Apostle Paul. Let me read it to your church. It's a personal letter. That's how these were penned. That's what they were meant for. You know, they weren't compiled in a book yet. There were just a group of believers gathered together in a house probably as the courier would come in and say, hey, this is from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And sometimes his letters included personal remarks. (laughs) Just like sometimes our missionary letters include personal remarks as they write letters to us. Usually he spoke very highly of these people. Look at what he says in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 16 of Romans. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church of Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and also myself. That's a pretty positive statement. Phoebe's probably feeling pretty good about herself. Look at verse 3. He said, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Greet Ampilus. My beloved in the Lord. And he goes on. Verse 10. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. And it goes on. He lists these names. I mean, can you imagine how you'd feel if you're sitting there, you had a letter from the Apostle Paul, and he's, the courier's in front of the church, and they're reading this letter, and your name is mentioned in that venue? And it's like, wow, he really appreciates me. How would it be if Paul mentioned you in one of his letters? Would it be that great? Maybe. Maybe not. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. Remember, these are letters that are read right in front of the people. Can you imagine if you were these two folks, Euodia and Syntyche? He says in verse 2, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Wow. Little bit of a rebuke there from the Apostle Paul. I mean, can you imagine these two individuals probably slouching down their seats a little bit? These two people were mentioned by name in the best-selling book of all time. But unfortunately for them, the only thing we know about them is they had some petty disagreements that couldn't be resolved. I mean, wouldn't it be a shame if that's how we're remembered? About 600 years ago, Thomas Kempis wrote this, If Christ is among us, then it is necessary that we sometimes yield up our own opinion for the sake of peace. Who is so wise as to have perfect knowledge of all things? Therefore, trust not too much in your own opinion, but be ready to hear the opinion of others. I don't know what goes through your mind when you hear that, but I just feel it right here in my gut. You know, sometimes we think we know best about everything. Well, that's not the case. The writer of Hebrews said something in a similar way, in a similar twist. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says, Make every effort to live in peace with who? With all men. And be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
The first element of unity is so important that if you don't have unity among the brothers and sisters in Christ, there's the presence of unholiness. That's what that verse indicates. It says, live at peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's a pretty stark statement. There's something more important than being right all the time. There's something more important than winning every argument. King David said it this way in Psalm 133, verse 1. He said, how good and pleasant it is when brothers, and you can say sisters, live together in unity. And as you look at the text today in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 122, it says, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. See, God is pleased when his people get along. We can't all be right all the time. That's impossible. But you know what? We can live together in unity and we can accept the differences that we have with one another. And I pray that this holiday season, this Christmas season, as we embark upon the celebration of the King of Kings that brought the possibility of unity to us, that we look at our personal relationships, we look at our marriages, we look at our family, our friends, we look at the body of Christ, we look at Grace Bible Church, and we say, I'm going to do everything I can to maintain unity. See, this isn't something that we work at. The Bible says we already have unity. We have unity in Christ. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a bond with each other. And what we're called to do, Paul says it over and over again, is protect that bond of peace, that that unity that exists between us. Because the enemy is going to be throwing all sorts of darts at us all the time, trying to break up the unity factor within the church. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's not that hard to do. But when we live by the Spirit and we're focused on the things of the Spirit... I think that God will control us in such a way that, that it will come almost naturally in the spirit. So the first thing there is unity. Maybe you don't have unity in a family. Maybe you have issues with your kids or your wife or whatever. Seek to resolve it. Don't hold on to that stuff. It's not worth it. I mean, so many times, you know, you're holding on to a grudge or you're holding on to something. And you know what? The person you're holding that grudge against, it's not even in their mind. It's not even in their realm of experience to be thinking about you. And yet, it's keeping you up night after night after night, you know. It's not worth it. You just need to bring it to Christ and you need to say, God, heal this pain that I feel. Help me move on. Well, it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come out and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children through grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, give us a call at the Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, 650-366-9923, or visit our website, gracefultruth.org. Well, as we conclude our time together today, we return the microphone once again to our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse, with a few closing thoughts about Christmas and maximizing Christmas. Steve? Well, it's hard to believe that we're already entering into the Christmas season once again this year. As I've already stated in our first message of this Maximizing Your Christmas series, this time of the year is approached by many with anticipation and joy and even excitement. But many others approach this time of the year with a sense of fear, bouts of depression, and even dread. This time of the year is especially hard on those of us who may have lost loved ones in the past. 
You see, Christmas is all about family and friends spending time together, enjoying fellowship around a fire. And if you, if you don't have that family or friend around anymore to spend time with, well, it can be a rather difficult time. I want to encourage you to reach out to Christ during this time of the year. It is his holiday. It's referred to as Christmas. Why not focus on him, the Christ, the giver of life, the healer of hearts and hurts, the reconciler of broken relationships, the restorer of all that has been shattered? This time of the year, we celebrate God's gift to us of his one and only son, Jesus the Christ, to a lost and fallen, sin-stained world. And when we cry out to him from our broken hearts and our pain for his mercy and his grace, beloved, he hears us. He's willing to heal us and to forgive us, to transform us, to restore us into the proper relationship with God the Father. Won't you cry out to him today? Ask him to save you from your sin, to save you from your selfishness, to even save you from yourself. He'll answer that prayer when it comes from a sincere, humble heart. Well, I want to thank you for listening to Graceful Truth each week, and we trust that it's a blessing and an encouragement to your heart. We are praying that you and yours will have a very Christ-centered Christmas this year, and may you find forgiveness and comfort in his indescribable gift to us. Now, here's Andy to close out our program for today. Andy? Thank you, Steve. And friend, thank you for spending time with us each and every week here in God's Word. It is our earnest prayer that you are growing in grace, growing in your knowledge and relationship of Jesus Christ. We look forward to hearing from you and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time as we continue our series, Maximizing Christmas, here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Redwood City.